Cause you such a hip hop head and they love that. We love that. Everybody loves that. I'm glad you really get it like that. She's a genius. Genius. Give it up for Lefty, please. Oh, thank you, thank you, and welcome to episode 22 of well. That's something we're going to discuss later on in the episode. But first, welcome. I haven't done an episode in so long because life happened. And really, life happened. Life hit me super hard. I wasn't as prepared as I'd like to be. But here we are. You got to take that time when life hits you. You can't feel like... And I think... Let me just start with this. I think the way that uh, life works right now, you are expected to be online every day post every day it almost is like not normal not to be on but let's say there was no social media it wouldn't be abnormal to not hear from a person for a couple months as they go through and then when you see them again or you may not even know they've gone through something but when something's hit them you know like give them time whereas now if something hits someone we're like okay when are you gonna say something about it are you gonna post about it are you gonna tweet about it and it's become the norm to need some sort of commentary from someone about what they're going through at the very moments that they're going through shit and it's scary it's a lot of pressure for that person to not only deal with what they're dealing with but also say something to the world instead of giving them the time to deal with process and feel ready to regain whatever strength they may need in order to talk to somebody and i'm not saying this just as a public figure because all of us we're expected to show up every day to social media like it's a job and not have a day a week a month two months a year to process things that have really gone on through our lives i just wanted to take that into account that's my observation of the world and just know if you're going through something and you kind of feel pressure to say or comment or post when you don't really want to don't don't do it that's just the new society like standard you don't have to abide by that if you're really going through something you are more important than a post okay all right well one of the many things that happened with me in this short period of time that I've been off is I had a baby. Uh, Luis Hermias is two months old right now. And today he really saved me out of a personal like anxiety attack that I get. I won't even call it an attack because it didn't get there. But I've had this since I was little and I didn't know it was an anxiety attack till I got older. I just knew when I was little, it made me feel very scared. Uh, when I would think about the end of the world, I would think about literally there being nothing i would think of nothingness and that would give me that ball in the pit of my stomach like oh my gosh one day there's gonna be nothing and i would either think of like an all white space or all black space but it's like there's gonna be nothing ever and it was such a dooming thought that it would send me into being anxious having anxiety and i would cry and i would wish that like that pit in the ball of my the pit in the ball of my stomach the ball in the pit of my stomach would go away and it wouldn't it seemed very it was just dreadful and i think the worst part about that because the way that my mind works is like let's say i got hurt today it sucks but what gets me more sad is the fact that i'm gonna get hurt another day in the future like this isn't the last time i'm gonna be hurt 
basically. It's so bad. But when I was little and I used to have these thoughts of like there being nothing, not even death. Not, I, it wasn't the thought of death. It was just the thought of nothing one day of like the end of anything that would make me feel very like anxious but the worst part was thinking oh man i'm gonna think this thing again one day this exact thought that makes me feel really bad i would sleep when i was younger when i would feel this way i would like try my best to just go to sleep because i wouldn't know any other way to get rid of it and it took me freaking three decades to figure it out uh, so today I was eating and I was thinking about, you know, that scene in Casper, but not the cartoon Casper, like the Casper where it was, what's her name? Christina Ricci. And the uncles are in the kitchen and they're eating and they're eating and the food's just falling through them. Right. So then I thought, oh man, when you die, you can't eat and food is so good. Like eating is delicious. And so for some reason today, while I was eating, I was just thinking about heaven and like, what is heaven without food? Like, what if we can't eat? Because clearly there's no need to eat because we're not physical anymore. I'm not going to be able to eat. That sucks. And then some odd reason. Oh, actually not some odd reason. Then I'll take you back two nights ago. Two nights ago, uh, I was on YouTube and I was watching videos. Well, the first video was of a woman who had passed away and she was dead for 90 minutes and she was explaining what she saw or what she felt like her experience passing on. And the way she described it was she just had known she was dead. She had that like revelation quickly and it was a happy freeing feeling. And she just felt like the burdens of today and life were lifted from her and she wasn't in a particular place it wasn't like she was in heaven she said that she just felt like she was in another realm completely and she was everything formless kind of so that was the first video that i saw and on the suggested videos was this dude that talks to people on the other side and he would do like studio readings where he would pick members of the audience like someone asked him i want to know if the person that passed away is mad at me because we buried him but he wanted to be cremated and this guy's like honestly i've been doing this for 35 years and i can tell you with all certainty that they do not care that's more for you how you commemorate them but that's water under the bridge to people that have passed any wishes that they might have had now this doesn't mean don't carry out those wishes if they had like a will or things like that, but don't get so hung up on if you commemorated them the right way or not, because that's not a worry that they have. And even graves, he was saying, they're not there. The graves that we make or these, if they're cremated, like they are not there. They're everywhere. They're with you. They're not confined to a grave or wherever you have, whatever you cremated them in. But to say somebody is everywhere doesn't give us a spot as humans to go to, which we don't need to go to a cemetery, but we do it because physically that gives us something. But in him saying like, it's more for us than it is for them. It hit me hard, even just like the way we grieve. I think everyone, when they talk to mediums, it, it's always like, he's okay. Know that she's okay. They want you to know they're okay. Yet we're still traumatized. And I think it's just because the way in which you have to pass over is like, you don't just suddenly are like, oh, I'm going to have a spa day and pass to the other side. No, it's brutal, violent, or you you have a disease or... I guess the best way people want to go is like in their sleep, right? But for the most part, when you think of the act of death, it's not a pretty picture. It's something you get to in a very most likely violent way. But actually being dead isn't painful, isn't that? Missing 
those people is what's painful. But still, that's for us that are still in the physical body. Oh, and real quick, jumping back to the original video. I know I'm everywhere right now, but it'll all come together in the end. Okay, with the video of the lady that had passed away for 90 minutes, she was saying what we all kind of hear, your life flashes before your eyes. But she was saying that it wasn't just this life. It was lives she's lived before so basically all of the lives that her particular soul had lived she was running back through them and this is a woman mind you who said before this experience she didn't believe in reincarnation having past lives any of that but after this she definitely did and if you don't believe in past lives okay that's fine but if you do this is something i took from it while she's reviewing her past lives and this one that she just had she made note that there was a common theme in every life. She didn't get specific on what her particular theme was, but she did mention that all of her lives had the same theme and it seemed as though she had to get over or overcome whatever that theme was in her many lives so that her future lives would be free of this theme or could pursue this theme i guess at an even greater capacity that stuck to me because it's kind of a cool thing to know you have a common theme within your many lives but also it sucks that you might have to pass away to figure out what that theme was maybe the goal is to figure out that theme early like when you're alive maybe it's speaking out to you right now. What it could be for me kind of jumped out at me too. Like, oh shit, I may have had this very same predicament in all of my past lives because currently I'm trying to like figure out how to best go about my life so that it doesn't take over or overwhelm me. And it was just interesting to hear her say that this life didn't just flash before her. All of her past lives flashed before her and she saw that each life had a common theme to it. So again, maybe our goal in each life is to progress a little bit more in overcoming that theme or in carrying out that theme of your life. But anyway, I think the woman's account of it being just in air and like free or whatever uh that thought came to me while i was thinking about how when you're dead you don't eat because <laughs> you're formless and then i just started thinking about nothingness it was a it was a very quick uh transition from being the formless like airy happy to like oh my god when there's nothing like when time is done when everything's just over and i got super anxious again like it made me feel bad because i knew like one day i'm gonna know what that is because time is gonna happen to me and i'm gonna pass away then when i pass away when i'm in that space one day that space is gonna be done because the time is done and what happens there and it's inevitable and all of that just like made me feel super anxious again when i was little i used to sleep it off but there's no there was no sleeping it off today i had my baby with me luis hermias he was laying down uh, in his little like lounger that I have on the bed. And as soon as you look at Luis Hermias, like, oh my goodness, he smiles like no other. I have three sons and Luis is the one that is just always smiling. He greets you with a smile as if he knows when you need a smile. And in that moment, I looked at him and he's just smiling. And I just held him because I was still feeling anxious. I wish it just was that easy to like go away. But I was still feeling anxious and I just like was holding him and giggling with him. And he just the more he smiled and just the more love I expressed just going back and forth between us, it just started washing away the anxiety. And I just started being so 
thankful and kissing him and just saying thank you thank you thank you to him for giving me that smile for being so sweet and it made me cry because yes i'm emotional but also just because it was beautiful how the key to relieving that anxiety is loving on something loving on something being thankful for something i know that's so easy to say but i promise that it's that way those of you who don't have children that can't just look at them and just say thank you i love you i love you i love you i love you thank you thank you thank you until you really are gone and washed away from the anxiety i do recommend you uh just thinking of that thing that you are so thankful for you're thankful for almost beyond reason you just love that you have it and maybe you don't know what that is but just start by thinking of something you are thankful for and then just giving it that love and i'm just so thankful for this and it has nothing to do with the initial anxiety you're feeling you can feel anxious about career me i felt anxious about nothingness and then I just turned to my son and was just like, oh my gosh, this is beautiful. I love you. Thank you. Thank you. And it's relieving. You, you just, I don't know, not not saying try it, try feeling anxious and then try doing being thankful. But if anxiety hits you when it does, shoot to something, you know, is a for sure love, a for sure thankfulness, a for sure happiness. Even if it's a memory of something, like you're thankful you experienced that. And just pour your love and your thanks into it. And that's healing in itself. You're your own medicine because you're exuding it. And you're ping-ponging off of the thing you're pouring that love into. Because as soon as you exude that love and the thankfulness, it's going to come back to you. And the anxiety will subside. I hope that made sense. It, li it literally just happened 20 minutes ago. And for me to start up this podcast after not doing it for a couple months after that act means a lot to the strength of that, at least in my sense and, and in my life. And I also will say because of that, I know the thought of this nothingness or like time stopping or the world ending or even you passing or just you're not allotted as much time anxiety. The good that can come of it is it sets you straight. Myself even being set straight from thinking that thought that was giving me anxiety to nope, that's not what you should be thinking about. Think about this beautiful baby boy right next to you that's smiling, looking up at you because you are so beautiful and amazing to him. And there's only love there. You're, you got to be the friend that you need in that moment and just snap yourself away to different uh thoughts when these dark ones kind of take space what was i, re I no it wasn't something i read it might have been a ted talk but i had listened to it a while back and it was about attention and the things you give attention to you may think you don't have a choice but you so have a choice and that attention is what everything comes down to every company every person is out for your attention and if you look at it like that something that helps me is because the word attention it's so broad there's no measure to it you don't know how much supply you have right but let's imagine it being a container let's imagine there's a cup that's your cup of attention at any given time that cup is filled with something, some sort, let's, the fluid will be whatever you're giving your attention to. Whether it's half full, like you're giving your partner, like you're multitasking, you're giving your partner some attention, you're also caring for your baby, you're also on social media. So that cup is full with these three different things you're giving attention to. And when your partner is like, pay attention to me, think of that cup now overflowing with the attention that you're giving your partner and there being no room for anything else to be in there because you're giving them your undivided attention. Do you feel me? Can you imagine that? Once you get the picture of it, it becomes easier to kind of 
I guess, quantify attention. When you are anxious, when you have anxiety, when those negative thoughts are just overwhelming you, that cup is full. It's full to the brim of this negativity, right? So let's use me earlier as an example. My cup of attention was full of negativity from that anxiety that I got thinking about nothingness and just full of that liquid negativity. But as soon as I turned to my baby who was smiling at me and I was thankful for him, the thankfulness poured into that cup and spilled a little negativity out. Then the love I had for my baby poured into that cup and spilled more of that negativity out. Then just the joy between me and him just ping-ponging off of each other filled up that cup and the negativity was poured all the way out. That's what happens with your attention when you focus on something so much that there's no room for the bad thoughts. There's no room for the anxiety. There's no room for the depression, for the negativity. All you got is a cup of happy gratefulness and love. I know that sounds like bubbly and maybe fantasy-like, but in those moments, that's what you need because that anxiety is just as exaggerated. It's just as extremely negative as the extreme positivity I'm saying will help you out of it. I hope this imagery helps. It's literally an off the whim type of metaphor that I'm tr that I tried. So there was another one that was better. My bad. This is how my brain worked. There's another strategy that involves memory that I learned in a book I've been reading, but I haven't finished the book, so I don't want to expand on it prematurely. I will, though. I'll come back to it because it's so far I'm like really intrigued by it. Another book, though, I do want to speak about is The 22 Immutable Laws of Branding. Nipsey recommended this book and I am recommending it to you. I'll put it on any kind of link that I can wherever I'm posting this. And if not, my social media for sure. Instagram, letty.set.go so you can copy it for yourself. And right now I'm going to give a little summary of the first two chapters in the book, the first two laws and how I'm going to apply them moving forward. If you're working on your brand, if you are even thinking about branding, if you've never thought about it, maybe this might inspire you to think about it. Uh, yeah, that's what we're doing right now. So the first chapter, the first law is the law of expansion. And what the book says is when you put your brand name on everything, that name loses its power. The book states customers want brands that are narrow in scope and are distinguishable by a single word. The shorter, the better. For example, Bayer. If I say Bayer, what do you think? Aspirin, right? That's what I thought. Now, they give an example of Bayer uh, expanding and it not working. When Bayer tried to compete with Tylenol, they made Bayer non-aspirin. That went nowhere. That failed. They had to stop that. And you also think, like, if the word I think of when I hear Bayer is aspirin, how are you going to be non-aspirin as well? The book states, in the long term, expanding your brand will diminish your power and weaken your image. It's just heavy to think about because you think, no, I have to expand. Expanding equals, yes, success. That's what I thought when I first read it too. I even brought it up to Nipsey in an interview. I'll play in a little bit. But the second chapter gives the guide of like what maybe you should be doing instead of expanding. And it's the law of contraction stating a brand becomes stronger when you narrow your focus. Here's an example. They gave delicatessens, delis. If you think of a deli in anywhere USA, the ones that you've been to recently or have seen on the road, if you were on the road, what are in there? Everything. Soups, salads, sandwiches, 
subs, bagels, donuts, ice cream, newspapers, lottery tickets. You can get anything in there, basically. You don't really know a delicatessen that's brand is strong, right? But... This guy, Fred DeLuca, he narrowed his focus on delis and only made one type of sandwich, the sub sandwich, Subway. When he narrowed the focus to be everything sub sandwich, he succeeded. And Subway is one of the largest fast food chains in the U.S. That's an example the book gives. It also talks about Starbucks. While there was coffee shops everywhere since forever, Initially, Starbucks just narrowed their focus on coffee, different kinds of coffee from different places around the world, different roasts, and that's how it grew. They then even tried to expand into cafe Starbucks and they had things like chicken pot pie and that failed. Recently now, and I think since the chain's grown so big, you can buy small pastries and like, what's that, like grape and egg and cheese, the little box that they have, like those things. And like their drinks or summer refreshers and shakes that don't necessarily have coffee in them. But what made that brand, and this is what we're focusing on, making a brand, is that narrowing of focus. So much so that, that when someone thinks Starbucks, they think coffee, similar. Bayer, you think aspirin. Subway, you think subs. You can't do that with like the Chevy, right? You think Chevy, there's different car types that are going to come to your head. Now, the way that I'm applying this to myself, and it might not be the exact, I guess, definition of both of these laws, but I subconsciously have been feeling I need a change or I need to, I'm going to use the word consolidate what I'm trying to brand. And while I haven't been unsuccessful in branding different things in my mind and as far as work for me, I'm spreading myself into different brands when I could just be giving one soul brand that effort and honing in on all things me, Letty. So just to be more specific, I'm talking about the Down to Ride podcast. Down to Ride, the brand. It's too broad. If you YouTube it, Google it, search it up somewhere, many different things can come up. If you hear the words Down to Ride, you might think of something else. You may not necessarily tie it to me, whereas Let the Set Go, it's a better descriptor and you tie it to me more easily, mostly because my name's in it, but also because I've been able to brand it. And when I talk about my workload, I was basically telling people, go to Dash Radio to listen to Let the Set Go, listen to my podcast, Down right here watch my interviews on youtube sending people different places is not what i want to do i want you at least branding wise and mentally be able to tie let set go with it all so like an umbrella brand and that doesn't mean i'm not doing the podcast anymore i'm just calling it let set go from now on in order to consolidate what i'm doing is a bit of a backtrack so you can literally cut out of this if you've already seen the interview on youtube but if you haven't I'm going to add in my Nipsey interview here because one, we talked about the immutable laws and that's what I'm putting into practice, but also because I love him dearly and I feel like as many platforms as I can share this interview that I had with him, that was, maybe I can reflect on it here. In the moment, again, I'm an emotional person and I thought, I'm pregnant, I'm emotional, this is how I am, I'm going to cry. <laughs> and I cried while interviewing Nip. But it's not like I don't see this dude on the regular. Like I would see Nip around. We would go to things together. My husband is Nipsey's road manager, business partner, brother. And we would see each other and we would have conversations. But still, I think this is one of those times where I gave it a moment to let him be the artist and me the interviewer versus just hanging out with Nipsey because we would have deep conversations in general. But this was a moment where I'm like, okay, this is where you're going to be your profession and he's his profession. After he passed, I didn't even like when when I did the interview, clearly super geeked about it just on a professional level. I love Nip. 
So having an interview with him was awesome to me. But when he passed, I didn't even want to revisit it. And people were posting it to me and tagging me and tweeting like, look, she cried. And it, this was like just a couple weeks before he died. Like her spirit could feel it and his spirit could feel it. And look at this interview. Like I couldn't even give it that attention. And also uh, his passing showed me why I do not ever want to think that Tupac is alive again. Because I've done conspiracy theory episodes about Pac. But seeing all of these conspiracy theories about Nipsey almost made a real situation fantasy and it's like, nah, fools, it's not that. Like, oh, because he said this here, or remember when this happened here, or, or Dr. Sebi, or like all of this stuff. And I just didn't like it. It didn't feel good. And I can only imagine Tupac's family, friends, acquaintances, and how they may have felt or do feel still with ongoing conspiracy theories about Tupac. And just respectfully, I bow out of those because just hearing and seeing some of the ones that are surrounding Nipsey just don't sit well. Yeah, in retrospect, I'm very, very thankful. I'm very thankful that I got to sit down with Nip and that the last time I saw him, he said, I love you, sis. And I said, I love you back. And that I was able to always appreciate him and be vocal about that. Like, I'm thankful for it. So, yeah, if you want to tune out, I'll talk to you next time. If you watch it on YouTube, want to listen to it again, please do. If you haven't heard it, please listen. And I'm going to start it right here. I don't know if you've ever had an interview start like this, but I cried to you last night, Nipsey. You cried to me. <laughs> yeah. And I think also, I think people may want to dive into this stuff more, especially now if they're barely getting caught up on just your uh, your way of thinking. Uh -huh. When it's not music, it's an article. Right. It was when Complex had like your, not a confrontation, but you guys spoke after they had already put you on this list that was like an underwhelming, underachievers type list. Right. But the reason I cried, not because you stood up to whoever the author was, but more so because of how affirmative you were. Right. Like there's this part in this interview where the guy's trying to explain why they put you on this list of like under whatever, underachieving people. Right. And then you were like, if I'm in the street, no one's going to be like, Anip hasn't dropped. Right. He's not doing well. Right. They're going to look at me and they're going to say, keep going. Right. Because you're supposed to be dead. You're right. supposed to be doing jail time. All you're not top. supposed to be here. All top. And your following words were like, I am the law of attraction. Right. I'm doing God's work. Like all of that stuff. And I don't right. mean to cry. But seeing that happen in 2000, and this is like years ago, 2013 might as well have been another generation yeah. ago when people weren't thinking this way, especially when it came to big, uh, blog names and sites like Complex, right? right? We weren't expected to stand up to that type of uh, critique. Right. I think you mentioned it felt very like spectating on us. Right. Sarcastically. Yeah, yeah. And then to like-, like cynical. Yeah, and then to see, it, to see now, it's almost like a redemptive quality that I feel like every fan of yours, every follower of yours feels today because this is not something that you just jumped on. Right. This is not something that like, is a trend or, or you saw someone else do like you have been speaking it since you started right That's i don't love. know why i cried i was like in bed like my baby's right next to me I'm like you're so whack <laughs> nah. but it made me cry nah that's love thank you sis i appreciate that i think there's this there's this uh culture too that since that was in 2013 and now i'm seeing it as well like a cynical take or like a sarcastic take is almost the go-to now and 
that legitimizes you. Like, how can you clown this artist or how right, can you clown right. like this moment in media? But this is real life stuff. You gotta do anything you do with love or mm -hmm. you shouldn't do it or it's gonna come across like it ain't, no, if you cook some food and it ain't no love in it, it's not gonna taste the same. Mm -hmm. If you covering a, a, sh a culture and you don't got love for that culture, or you don't, you know, you're not native to that culture and you don't have the understanding of what, mm -hmm. you know, the, the, the the qualities and the values of that culture is, you don't got no right having an opinion about it. And that's what the complex back and forth was. It's like, you know what I'm saying? Y'all got your whole metrics wrong, you mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like, you know, where I come from, like you said, you know, I ain't on drugs, I ain't dead, I ain't, you know what I mean, doing 100 years. I'm an overachiever, mm -hmm. period. Yeah. Don't get it, don't get it confused. Don't judge me on rap standards. Don't, don't put me on rapper uh, time because, you know, my life ain't just a rapper life and my history and my background ain't a rapper background. Mm -hmm. So you got you to gotta judge me as a man in the ground I covered. And if that's the case, you know, triple your whole, st your whole staff up yeah. and you're going to have my, my path and my journey. To see that uh, not just be said, because at the same time, at that time, they still, the, the conversation still felt like the tone, like, well, you do seem like you're taking a personal Nipsey. Right. Well, you do seem this way, Nipsey. Right. But I think the turnaround moment, the today, the now, right. to see you still be on your tip. Because it's like, sometimes it's like the realest people don't go far. Right. But it's like, no, I told you that. And then now I'm here. This was what I knew even back then when we was having that argument like all right bro would have been five years six years mm -hmm. track your progress from then to now mm -hmm. track mine let alone the 10 years before that yeah like you know we got writers that's writers we got great writers we got Ernest Hemingway we got real legendary mm. you're not one of them writers bro mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying so for you to have this opinion on who to like what's what like you know you got to validate yourself before yeah. you know because if I put the microscope on what you're doing not even just in music or writing, just in life. It ain't gonna stack up. But, you know, everybody's a, a, entitled to their opinions. That's why I fired back and gave them my opinion. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And I, I just made points. I just gave facts in that, in that article. And I read it back afterwards too. And I'm like, yeah, let me be critical of myself and see if I was just like being over aggressive with this dude. I ain't, everything I said was a fact. Yeah. Go through there and break down everything that was spoken on. Everything was a fact and a point. And even now, further on down the line, I, it still stand up. I ain't, I ain't tell no lies. Mm -mm. You feel me? So I think that's what the, what the beautiful part about it is now, and that it resonated because it's been so many years. And I don't mean to go to the past about it, but it's a, again, like I said, it's redemptive in the fact that they might have had whatever standpoint that they had. Like, well, he, it's true he hadn't dropped or the Crenshaw thing, like what after type stuff. Right, right. But it's like, no, now you can't. That was before I put out Crenshaw too. That was like three weeks before I put out Crenshaw, mm. and. The reason we had that interview is because when I put out Crenshaw, they asked me for an interview. And I told them, man, suck my dick. It's 10,000 mm -hmm. 10, for an interview. Mm -hmm. I was frustrated. I sent that back in the email. And <clears throat> because of that, I ended up having a meeting with Mark Echo, who owned Complex at that time. Mark Echo won us. You know what yeah. I mean? He's from this. And so we ended up talking and became friends. And he like, bro, you know, the magazine got their own individual opinion. I let mm -hmm. them do what they do. But let's have another convo. Get on the phone after the fact and talk to him. Tell him everything you told me. Right. Because when I went up there and had a convo with Mark Echo, I told him, you got to vet your, your, your writers mm -hmm. and, and before they speak on behalf of your, your brand. And I said that in the article. 
you say anything bad about Nip in a certain part of LA, a nigga will slap you. Mm-hmm. Not me, somebody will slap you for that. Mm-hmm. So just watch, pick your words wisely and be respectful about something that you are not native to. Yeah. And I ain't got nothing to do with race because I don't know what race do what. I can yeah. tell his point of view. And then I even said complex as a whole. Y'all opinion be funny style sometimes. Y'all be trying to poke fun at yeah. Like, this our life. We ain't monkeys dancing mm-hmm. for y'all entertainment. You feel me? So be careful when you talking about this shit. Niggas would take offense to that. I think even when you said, like, even if you don't like it, don't say anything. Because understand there's still that, that person still going through it. And guess what? If you don't like it, cool, I get it. But at the end of the day, yo, you saying something bad about it might impact the business mm-hmm. of it. So then now what if I trip on you? Yeah. What if I feel like you fucking my money up? And we we you got your platform and your power. What if I direct my power toward tripping mm-hmm. on you now? Because I feel like you fucking up my dough. Yeah. I'm going to be wrong. So keep shit on the surface. Don't, don't, you feel me? Because mm-hmm. you got a platform. You got some strength. The type people and the people you spitting on their name, they got platforms and strength also. Yeah. And we all going to meet in the middle. You know what I mean? It ain't to be threatening or none of that. It's just like keep shit, keep shit like in reality. If you wouldn't say that to me in my face, don't say that shit. From, At the, all. from the safety of your thirty mm-hmm. second floor office and a, a brand, because it's not the person. You feel what I'm saying? Yeah. And that's why I said you throwing rocks hiding in your hand, but it's all love. I never responded to y'all asked for it, mm-hmm. and that's another spit in my face. Like, stop with this fake shit. Yeah. But you know, I I, I overstand everything. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's that's just the nature of that shit. But certain times it'll irk you to the point you'll just say something, yeah. and it's like, man, I could really just hit you with all facts. You feel me? And I could get mad at you and flex on you. But I do a little of both so you don't think I'm just mm-hmm. either one because I could just quietly tell you fact for fact how you got your whole story wrong. Yeah. Or I could just tell you you's a bitch ass nigga and slap you. Yeah. But let's find a middle ground, you feel me? You did both eloquently. I, I'm, I read it back like two years <laughs> later. I'm like, damn, that's, that's a cold. It's Hell just, yeah. It's a cold conversation we had. Yeah. yeah. That, that's what I'm saying. Like, it stands the test of time and it's stuff that other people can go back to. We go back to a lot of our greats interviews. And unfortunately, that was that was on. Well, still articles are great. But to, for people to be able to go back to that stuff, something like that, it can impact you in whatever stage you're in right now. Straight up. Even back then, you seeing a label. De- I, I think more so nowadays, we're watching young people get into label deals and and it's something you mentioned early and what gets a lot of people that are young very uh, quickly is like, we're going to give you a bunch of money up front and you see the money, but you don't know that it's a loan. Right. And then on some intellectual property stuff and, and you were like, give me an asset. Right. It's like, no. And it's like, why would I not have an asset that I've made? Like, why is it not mine? And so again, to see you still stand up for something way back when, when I don't feel people were standing up like that. Now it's becoming more of a trend. Now it's where people are younger and like getting these these conversations and not being swayed so much by like the money aspect of it. I saw that with you prior. And right. I think we've all kind of seen that uh, influence that you've had, even if it's not musically, even if it's not how someone sounds, it's how someone moves behind the scenes, which is more important. Right. That's, that's how, if you look at what made people start wearing clothes that fit when everything was baggy, what made people fashion change, what made people feel comfortable doing a lot of things I was like, wasn't like culturally correct. Mm-hmm. The music changed. So you want people to think ownership, the music changed, the the, the trend changed, and you, mm-hmm. and you start talking about it. People got in their interviews and start making it a, a badge of honor to be independent and to own your, own your things. And now you got young people coming into the game 
turning down big deals. Yeah. You know, going indie so they can own their thing. They might not even understand what that mean in the long run. They just know that that's the that's in style is to be an owner. Mm-hmm. And so if I play the role in that, yeah, I'll take that. Yeah, if we're going to follow trends, might as well be that you one. You feel what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> On the Forbes article that they released about you, you mentioned a book, The 22 Immutable Laws of Marketing. I read that book and it fucked me up because the first chapter was like, don't expand your brand too much because it can like a certain car brand, right? Try to make so many different uh, models. And in that they lose their focal point. Mm-hmm. And, I f- and then I'm like, damn, that ties into Nipsey because I just see Marathon Clothing, Marathon Agency, Marathon Water, yeah. like everything yeah. is Marathon yeah. and it's tied in. Yeah, I think even, even outside of like business and branding, even in music, when you get an album that's all over the place, you'd be like, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? But then you get them albums that's really focused and that's really, you know, a place, it's a world, or just really an idea that they really zoomed all the way in on. Mm-hmm. So I think um, brands also get more powerful the more focused they are. It's like yeah. in and out in and out sell hamburgers. You know what I mean? They got a line around the corner. Yeah. Every, every day they don't got no salads on the menu. They don't got too they sell hamburgers, fries, and shakes. They just, they known for that. They keep that at a high level. Mm-hmm. So I feel like, you know, you got powerful brands that's really focused on just doing specific things better than everybody else. Yeah. You know. How do you do that and then still build? Because that was like my question after reading that. Like, shoot, but you want to do other things, but you're trying to stay focused too. I mean, you get you get clientele more than transactions. Mm. You build clientele. And that's a lifetime. If you, if you live by what your values are, your brand values, mm-hmm. you get a client that over the course of your whole spending career, mm-hmm. they didn't spend with you and supported you, and they end up being worth more than a thousand one-time customers. You have fads, you have moments that really hit big, yeah. and they, they got one-time customers. They didn't they can't repeat that over and over and over. They got a moment where they, they did it right, but then if that's the case, they'll do them numbers every time they drop. Yeah. But, you know, other 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 brands, not even artists, other brands, you know, just being consistent with with what they what they build because they super serve who who follow them and they mm-hmm. and they and they over deliver to the ones that's with them and so that's it's a consistent clientele they build you yeah. know what I mean so I just think you know what I mean it's different strokes for different folks though and everybody approach is gonna be different but that book got a lot of game in it just I about agree. what makes a brand powerful. This was this is I want to ask you your so you could think about it while I explain this. You have great business deals and a lot of success in business. I want you to think of maybe a learning lesson business move that you may have had or something that you're like, damn, that didn't go so well. Mm-hmm. But I remember in Victory Lab where you talk about how your brother put the safe in the backyard. Yeah. And then when you guys went to go dig it up, it was like mold all over it. So it's like the money lost there. You're saving, but at the same time, like you couldn't rescue it all. Right. And those learning moments, like, oh, okay, maybe let's not put saves in backyards. <laughs> but Definitely don't. don't bury no money. What's a business move that you've had that you're like, ah, maybe I shouldn't have either jumped too too soon or too late on it. You've been blessed, honestly. You've been doing all right, man. Knock on wood. Yeah. Well, because I know Jordan. I think it's a Jordan quote. And I'm a Kobe fan, but still, it's a Jordan quote. Like, it's I'm the best because I've lost so much. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just you know, I fucked up my sacks early when I was a, you know, mm-hmm. what I mean, I'm, I learned how to how to bring it all back when I was a little younger. Mm-hmm. So I think that if I don't live by my rules, I know why I, I, I failed or why mm-hmm. I didn't work. If 
I live by the rules though that I learned in, in the game that I got, mm -hmm. that shit works. It's consistent. Yeah. It's just about being disciplined and sticking to the script throughout the whole time. But the rules work. You know, we used to, you apply the rules, that shit work. Yeah. yeah. It's a formula. For sure. Uh, racks in the middle. I didn't know what that meant. When, when you when you first heard the title, you yeah, didn't know what that but meant. I didn't know what that meant. Right. And then Jorge looked at me like, I've taught you better than this. Right, right. But, okay, Racks in the Middle is like putting thousands of dollars in the middle. That's why of I said I'm, I was riding around in the V12 yeah. with the Racks I don't even middle. know what V12 is. I'm not like hip like it's that. It's a car. It's <laughs> a car. It's a, it's a 12-cylinder. <laughs> so some expensive shit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's expensive. That's what I know. Yeah. But the, the Racks go in the middle. That don't fit in your pocket. If you right. got some real bands, you mm -hmm. gotta put them in a bag or something, or you might just like sit it right here. See, and that's like, I love your stunt, cause your stunt is not just like, I got bands. Right, It's right. It, 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 Cause then you even say like, you got the blues in the- Oh, oh JP got you the full walk <laughs> No, I, oh, you I, I felt stupid once I asked him what's racks in the middle, and then I'm like, I'm not even gonna bring this up to you again. Right. But- I got the blues on the dash. Yeah. Yeah. And that's- Hundreds. Yeah, hundreds. Blue faces. See? Yeah. Yeah. We're learning. There you go. <laughs> no, but one part of the song, and I think that it's very important because it goes back again, like full circle into your first year come up is the stuff about fats and the stuff about like you not not for nothing, but a lot of your success, you attribute to the team around you. Yeah. And even in your success, you're thinking of the people that aren't there for you with you now, in particular, when it comes to the people that you're doing this for and the people that you're doing it as a representation of, is that room's responsibility heavy? It's, it's heavy, but it's felt, you know, I feel, I feel that it's, it's people that depend on this thing to keep going, to keep growing, mm -hmm. you know, but we built for for the challenge. You know, we, we aware of what it is. I really be feeling like, man, we didn't, we didn't got through some hard times. You know, we didn't, we didn't been through uphill battles in this thing. So, mm -hmm. I'm 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 not naive enough to think we don't got other steep steep hills we got to go up and just challenging moments. But you know I got a cold history that I can reflect on. Yeah, just a moments that I felt questionable and just like I don't know if we can do it. Yeah, and we didn't got through all of them. So you know I think that's one of the benefits we got that we survived some 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 turbulence. You know we yeah. It's like a sailor that been on the ocean through some bad storms. Mm -hmm. It might get rough, but you know, you seen some bad ones. So you yeah. you got some reference of it coming back down and getting cool, you know? Really, Nip? There's nobody like you. And I don't say that to like kiss your butt, but there's people that are categorized as street rappers. There's people that are categorized as conscious, storytellers, lyrical. I feel like you encompass, like if you, if we had like categories, you check every box. Right, right. Do you know that you're different? Like, you know that it's not the same as everyone else. I mean, that's the goal. You know, it's like a, if an athlete is like a scoring champ, mm -hmm. the game bigger than just scoring. It yeah. got, it, it got multi, it got dimensions yeah, to yeah. it. So you might have to work on your defense and get your defense up. And the goal is to be an overall player though. Yeah. Same with, with music, with hip hop. We want to be hit makers. We want to be album makers. We want to be um, global brands. We want to be touring artists. We, but you can't do everything at once. It's something you build, and eventually you start seeing something form. Yeah. And it's like, man, I look like something over there. So it's it's literally like speaking different languages. You're like quadlingual. You can speak to every fan, every right. type of fan. Right, right. I don't see it in other. Well, and I feel stupid because people would be like, "So and so's like this, and so and so's like this." Like right. I, I hear Hove, I hear Ross in my head already when I think that it's just different with you. 
That's love. And Thank I you. think beyond, and if people just, I think the biggest attraction to Nip already is uh, your business moves, and people know like platform for that. Right. It's like not listening to him too. Right. Right. Like, pay attention to because it's more than that. Right. Right. And you know, um, this is my first album. You know, to to be a fan from the mixtapes, it means you've been really tuned in. But mm-hmm. it's a lot of people that just check what's on the front page of their Spotify or check what's on the yeah. front page of their Apple. So by us being in album mode now, it's like you know, I'm sure that the story will be um, more music based. You yeah. know, what I mean, that's the goal. That's something I'm challenged by. Yeah, I want, I want, I want the music to have center stage at some point. And I said this earlier, like I never wanted to be no starving artist. I never mm-hmm. wanted to be somebody like desperate, you know, because they make music all day. So I, I focused on business as I went. Even before having businesses, I was a hustler. Mm-hmm. That's why I didn't rap, because I, I was a hustler and I was trying to get dough. Yeah. And so, you know, I've kept that mentality. But as these businesses grow, as, you know, the foundation we standing on become more solid, it's like I'm, I'm liberated to just be an artist yeah. and just focus on making music, you know what I mean? I have one more thing before I let you go. Yeah. Because I talk a lot. It's all good. You got the you got the right job for that. <laughs> the doctor said me, Doc. Yeah. I keep hearing people like so afraid for you and it protect, makes me protect, afraid. Yeah. Nip. Yeah, it makes That's me crazy. afraid. And it, it's almost become like a funny like meme type thing to say. But diving into it, I got diagnosed with something called Hashimoto's disease. It's an autoimmune disease. Mm. And Jorge was like, okay, Dr. Sebi, we need to go. And he's not alive anymore. He passed right, away. Right. Uh, but he has like a store out here. Yeah. And the stuff that, they, that they've that they provided has helped a lot. Right. Uh, what got you interested in Dr. Sebi? Well, my girl put me on Sebi. Mm-hmm. And, you know, me, I'm like, all right, let me see what it's about. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't eager to believe it, you know. I just started listening to him talk. Mm-hmm. You feel me? I'm a word person. You know what I mean? I'm a... I'm a I write, I'm a, I'm a performer, I'm a talker. So I just, I felt a certain frequency from what he was saying yeah. and it was making too much sense. And then I tried it and I felt I felt the impact. I didn't have no disease I was trying to get rid of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just was tired from touring and from being on the road all the time and smoking weed and not eating right. And I'm like, I need to, I need to figure out a way to keep my energy balanced. And uh, it worked, you know what I'm saying? And so I start really reading up on dude, watching his interviews and everything. And, I just found myself telling people about it. I mm-hmm. ain't even wanted to be no like spread the word, yeah, yeah, yeah. campaign, be a evangelist. I just start talking to people about it. Anybody that say something, oh, you should try this, bro. Or, you know, yeah. says you should try this. And I found out about that trial. And I'm like, damn, that story, forget about the health benefits of it and all right. that. Just from a story point of view, somebody went to trial and proved in court that they cured HIV. That's a great story, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? From that point of view, that story should be told, you know? And so that's why I've been trying to collect info and put together the documentary about it. Not on some like convert the world to take Sevies. Mm-hmm. Nah, yeah. just, I think that story is interesting. It should be told. Yeah. Uh, Lauren, when you guys first got together, gave you a book, right? Uh-huh. And it yeah, was- She gave like, me a lot of books. Yeah, that's so cute. Uh, but one of them was it. It was the one about how to be with a partner, right? That's like a you talking about the, the way of the superior man, yeah. Book? Yeah, and it kind of helps women with men that are more powerful, kind of like being around them or being in relationships with them. Correct? Mm-hmm. Do you have tips for guys that are with women that are also in that type of a a, a superior woman and a superior position? Because I feel like it's both of you guys giving that off right i just feel like 
whether any whoever you surround yourself with, you around ten broke niggas, you gonna be the eleventh one. Mm-hmm. You around people that have high standards for themselves or high integrity, got mm-hmm. high standards for their friends, for their people. You know that's gonna rub off, and you are gonna have that type of energy around you. So if you with somebody and they they somebody that's high energy or a powerful person, you know that's motivation for you to stay on top of your game. Because, you know, somebody probably going to call you out or it's going to be lopsided. You know what I mean? And so, you know, I know my girl work. My girl bring home a check. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it's like what I look like falling off. You know what I mean? Not that I would feel like right. it's cool to fall off if I didn't, but it's just like you got a little bit more of a daily yeah. reminder. You it's know like what I mean? steel sharpened steel. 100%. That's, a, that's the simple way to say it. Yeah. Uh, period. Thank you, Nip. Thank you for talking to me. Thank you. You already know. I'm glad I didn't cry too much. You did good. (laughs) Don't trip. You did great.